Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Paul Skinner. From award-winning marketeer to a leading thinker on the topic of business purpose, he is the founder of the Agency of the Future, which helps clients create collaborative advantage to drive organizational success. And he's the leader of the social enterprise Pimp My Cause, which brings together marketeers and good causes to create transformational pro bono projects for social good. Most recently, Paul has authored a new book, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success presenting collaborative advantage as a serious and important alternative to the conventional goal of competitive advantage. Paul, welcome. Thank you, Katie. I've uh, enjoyed some of your previous interviews and been looking forward to talking to you. Oh, well, delighted to have you. Now, sir, you've recently written a book, Collaborative Advantage and Why Collaboration. Why is collaboration so important to you and to business today, do you think? Well, I've been a long-term fan of what you might call cooperation-enabling ideas. When I was six, one of my formative childhood experiences came when my father was lucky enough to have one of the first ever uh, heart transplant operations. Now, that was made possible by innumerable acts of cooperation, essential among which was an individual act of life-saving peer-to-peer cooperation, well before we even used the phrase peer-to-peer, or there was social media, the internet, or anything called the sharing economy, in the form of a motorcyclist who was thoughtful enough to carry a donor card. Now, we could say that the surgeon, Magda Yacoub, saved my father's life. We could certainly say that the, the motorcyclist saved my father's life. But we could also say that the very idea of the donor card also saved his life and enabled that kind of life-saving to, to scale. I also think that we are far more dependent, even in our everyday lives, far more independent on collective value creation than we realize. So for example, right now we're talking on Zoom and I was able to join that call effortlessly just by clicking on the the link that you kindly sent me. But of course, I have absolutely no idea really how the vibrations from your vocal cords are turned into packets of information that somehow get from your device to mine and end up getting recorded on the Zoom platform. So to do the simplest things every day, we of course are dependent on so many hidden acts of collective value creation, most of which don't actually even punctuate or puncture our awareness at any point in time. And in business, that's even more the case. Even if we were somehow able to be completely self-sufficient in creating the solutions that we offer, And by the way, I've never encountered a business that is completely self-sufficient in creating its solutions. But even if we could, as a thought experiment, we'd still be dependent on collective value creation in that we would be dependent on our customers' ability to create more value with our solutions than it costs them to buy it, it costs them to buy those solutions from us, whether it's people simply using our products and services to better enjoy their lives and create value for themselves in that way, or whether it's business customers 
who are adding economic value to the solutions that we provide. And the very nature of the business transaction is one of reciprocity. If you're my customer and I'm not doing something that you can use to benefit yourself, then how can I exist as a business? And if that exchange isn't a mutual exchange for reciprocal benefit, if it's not doing something to enable me to sustain the enterprise, then why should I create that business in the first place? And yet, the most influential idea in the history of ideas about business, or certainly in the history of ideas about business strategy, the idea of competitive advantage, would seem to overshadow that core truth. And I suggest can too often blind us to the most effective opportunities to grow our businesses by better working with the whole potential of the world around us, or also to better address social problems by more strongly harnessing our collective agency, and in particular, the agency of the the groups that we're most looking to support. So my interest in proposing collaborative advantage is to put the human purpose back at the heart of our business activities and our strategies, and to better harness our innate capacity for cooperation as a means for fulfilling that purpose. And since in the question you just cite the word collaboration, it might be worth drawing a couple of distinctions. So I specifically propose collaborative advantage as the business advantage that comes from better harnessing the value-creating potential from the world around us, as well as from inside the business. And so it might be worth drawing a couple of distinctions between collaborative advantage and collaboration, for example. A key distinction is that you would always want more collaborative advantage. So collaboration is a great thing, but you don't always want more of it. There, is, there come times when you may have been collaborating all day and what you really need is to, to focus alone for a moment, to dive deeply into a particular train of thought, for example. It's also different to consultation in that, once again, consultation is a great thing, but there can come times when for example, simply an intuitive understanding of need might be quicker or more efficient or effective than an extensive piece of market research. Or collaborative advantage versus compromise. Compromise is, again, a great thing. We could do with more of it, but it's not always the answer. We in the UK drive on the left. In France, they drive on the right. But one thing you don't want to do is to meet in the middle. You would, however, always, I propose, want to create more collaborative advantage. And Paul, this is your, you've written your first book. Why a book? What's driven you to put pen to paper and produce collaborative advantage? Well, I've been working on the idea of collaborative advantage and using it in my own work and to support client organisations for what must be nearly 10 years now. And I remembered a particular conversation that I'd had with one of my professors back in my college days at Oxford. And he specifically said that the tricky thing or the difficult thing in writing a book is not the writing of a book, but the having of a book where the idea. Now, if you're in a position where you're looking at the most influential idea in the history of ideas about business strategy, competitive advantage, and seeing that it has real limitations, and believing that there is a way forward that can overcome those limitations, then you're not going to just think that's a book-worthy idea. You're going to think that's a a library-worthy idea. 
you could write thousands of books on it and uh, you could have thousands of people working on it and never exhaust the possibilities. In fact, when I started working on the book, I put the words competition and business into the search box on Amazon and found that there were 13,000 titles coming back for the UK store, 20,000 titles for the US store. So quite a lot to overcome and a lot of potential. Now, it is true, and I recognize in the book that other people have criticized the concept of competitive advantage before me. So for example, some people point out that it too often becomes a zero-sum game, that if I'm looking to compete with you, my natural instincts are to replicate what you're doing, but to try to offer more of it for less, which can extract value from both of our businesses. You know, the thing about a race to the bottom is that it's no good for you. If you lose it, it's also no good for you, even if you win it. Other people point out from a more ideological perspective that competitive advantage has been associated with the goal of maximizing shareholder value, and that maximizing shareholder value has too often come at the expense of broader stakeholder value. Financial analysts have pointed out that the length of time that you can hold on to a competitive advantage has diminished at an ever-accelerating rate since the idea was first introduced, so it may not even be sustainable for the business itself in the long run. And then you have people like Kim and Mo Borgna, the authors of the Blue Ocean Strategy series of books, who argue, I think quite convincingly, that the biggest disruptions we're likely to face probably don't come from our direct competitors anyway. So too tight a focus on competitor strategy can leave us blindsided by bigger change. But I think that what I was able to introduce as a fresh perspective in collaborative advantage is first of all to see as a limitation in the idea of competitive advantage, the way that it causes us to perceive the relationship between our business and the environment in which we're operating, which can cause us to miss out on some of our greatest opportunities. It too readily reinforces the idea that it's we inside the business who create value that we inside the business are the, the heroes of our story, and that people exist outside the business, primarily either as competitors seeking to steal that value from us, or as customers who we too readily reduce to the role of consumers, which I would say is probably, of all the words in the English language, the one that I most hate, which sort of seems to imply that we can reduce or that the the agency of our customers is limited to their capacity to diminish by however many units the world supply of whichever resource we happen to be selling them. And so my sense in the book is that I help people to, first of all, overturn those assumptions, to move on from the idea that value is created within a business and to recognize that it's primarily created in the spaces between us, that Success doesn't come so much from being the best, but rather from supporting, finding the group that we most want to support and finding the right ways to share in the value that we can create with them. And that far from being the passive recipients of value, at any point in time, it is almost certainly our customers who are doing the very most to improve their own lives, whether it's their personal lives or, or their working lives that's relevant to our business, and that we can perhaps best understand our role in business as finding the right ways to make it easier, more complete, more effective, or maybe even more magical 
for them to play that role. And in the book, I develop a new model of growth for businesses to grow their businesses, to maximize the collaborative advantage that they can create in ways that I hope are better for the business, better for customers, and also better for society at large. Paul, you're a marketeer, you're a serial social entrepreneur, so you get to see a sort of number of different horizons in terms of business, but also social impact. I mean, what do you think are the sort of top trends in this space of business and social impact that you're seeing? Well, when we look at trends, we often ask ourselves the question, what's next? And one of the ways that I like to nuance that is instead of asking what's next, to instead consider the question, what's missing? Because my sense is that when we ask ourselves what's missing, somehow we access a more organic or a more holistic way of thinking. And that makes us far more likely to be the active creators of the next trend rather than just following it. In terms of social impact, I suppose just as in my book, I propose that we need collaborative advantage as a new narrative for describing the way that value is created or the process of value creation. I think we also need a new narrative for understanding the value that is created in the first place. So I think that we need new stories that reach right from the man in the street up to our political leaders and back again, that far more strongly recognize that all pounds are not created equal, and that a pound created with a positive social impact is quite literally and meaningfully worth more than a pound that is created with a less positive social impact or even a negative social impact. And I think that today we're lacking that narrative. There's a lot of work being done on it, of course, but I I don't think that the right narratives impinge on us when we ask ourselves basic questions like, is the economy in the UK growing or shrinking? I think also in terms of business and social impact, we hear quite a lot, not least thanks to, to group like, groups like Business Fights Poverty, about big businesses that are taking the lead on social impact, also about some of the more exciting pioneering social enterprises that are, are bringing forward new business models for social impact. I think something that can be overlooked is the creation of more opportunities to channel the contributions and the potential contributions and the expertise of more mid-tier businesses, even SMEs. So SMEs, for example, account for more than half of the UK's turnover. Or even down from that, if we think about freelancers, we have, I think, nearly 5 million freelancers in the UK. And in my experience, the shorter hierarchies in these smaller organizations the particular conditions of their ownership can mean that where we effectively channel those resources and where we unlock the right inspiration, proportionately, the impacts can be even greater. I think also there is still a need for much more crossover between sectors in that the business environment and the social environment are essentially 
utterly intercontextual. So I know, for example, that at Business Fights Poverty, you're strongly into peer support, and it's well acknowledged that people from a private sector background can do a lot to, for example, improve the performance of charities and social enterprises that they can can work with. And I also run a network that connects professional marketers with charities and social enterprises that they can support with their marketing talent. And so I'm a strong advocate for that kind of support. In some ways, I'm even more interested in how Insight can work the other way around. I have a a friend who analyzed the content of the world's top MBA programs and was horrified to observe that 95% of the content of the world's top MBA programs was looking within the organization. It was looking inside the business, when, of course, the most important change takes place outside our business, wherever we're working for. Now, in my experience, charities and social enterprises are often lacking in resources. And so if they spent all of their time looking inside the organization, would quickly run out of things to see. But I think that they can play a very strong role in illuminating and helping us better understand social and environmental problems in ways that can be tremendously valuable for businesses in converting that insight into business solutions to those social and environmental problems. So I think there's a lot more potential for the vast majority of businesses in the vast majority of cases to take a more ambitious approach to those kinds of partnerships and cross-sector working. You've been setting up your own businesses for impact, often in parallel, so multiple organisations together. I mean, what have you learned doing this so far? Well, collaborative advantage is all about learning in that the starting point for it is the unknown, in that the starting point is other people, that we have to approach empathically, contextually, insightfully. And of course, that learning never stops because no two groups are the same. So in the UK, for example, we're relatively relaxed about CCTV, although there is some burgeoning concern about adding facial recognition to that. But you'd never catch us carrying ID cards or signing up for that. In Germany, on the other hand, they take it as completely normal to have to carry an ID card, but are pretty sceptical about the encroachment of CCTV. And so because everything I do is about creating collaborative advantage, I'm always learning. You you might think that writing a book on a topic is a good way to teach that topic. What I found is that writing a book on collaborative advantage was my best way of learning about it. And in a sense, if that was a good technique for learning, Things like this and talking to people about the idea is the advanced technique because every time you get a question, embedded in that question is the whole worldview and lived experience of the person asking that question up to that point. So even if it's a question about your own ideas, it's an opportunity to interrogate them from a perspective that you couldn't possibly otherwise have known. And of course, In my advisory work, I spend most of my time helping organizational leaders to achieve more by better mobilizing the creation of collaborative advantage with their key stakeholders as well as inside their organizations. And that's where the whole concept of collaborative advantage emerged as a tool to better empower that process. And then my social enterprise my cause where we connect marketers with charities and social enterprises that they can support with their marketing talent 
has become a complete living laboratory of collaborative advantage in, in practice. We have about two and a half thousand causes, and I would suggest that almost all of them are led by people that you could describe as absolute ninjas of higher purpose. They also really depend on collaboration to achieve their goals, in that even quite a small charity or social enterprise typically has quite a complex set of stakeholder needs to align. If you think about their beneficiaries, their service users, their volunteers, their advocates, their donors, their business partners, their grant funders, and so on. And then along come our marketers, specifically with their tools of creativity and influence, and apply that to each cause's purpose to unlock a more sustainable value creating process of collaboration and so those ingredients purpose creativity collaboration have really fed into the concept of collaborative advantage as i propose it in the book and if i had to reduce it to one thing i suppose what i've most learned is to understand the value of empowering human agency in fact my advisory work is done through the agency of the future and when I called it the agency of the future, the word agency was actually intended to refer to human agency, the human agency of collaborative advantage rather than agency in the sense of a consultancy. Or if we think about Pimp My Cause, we run talent development programs where we take live charity briefs and support brand marketing teams in addressing those briefs in a way that enhances their own marketing capabilities while creating marketing solutions for our causes. And I used to think that the way this worked was that our causes improved people's lives, our marketers improved our causes, and our talent development programs improved our marketers' capabilities. But I more recently came to the conclusion that none of that is true, that our causes don't improve people's lives, that our marketers don't improve our causes, and that our programs don't improve our marketers' capabilities, but that these are actually three good things. Because first of all, our causes do something better than improving people's lives, which is that by and large, what they're doing is creating a set of conditions in which their beneficiaries can improve their own lives. And that's a meaningful distinction, because that gets to the heart of how those solutions are sustainable and self-perpetuating, you know, solutions rather than temporary fixes. Similarly, in one of our talent development programs, our marketing teams don't have the time and the scope to directly improve our causes. What they do have the chance to do is to work with the leaders of those causes to create value-creating marketing resources and campaigns and innovations that our cause leaders can use themselves to improve the outcomes that they're able to achieve for months and years to come following one of these programs. And the programs themselves, the value of them to our marketers, lies not so much in something that we teach as imparted knowledge in that sense, but rather they are opportunities that our marketers can use to go beyond themselves as marketers to do something worthwhile that also gives them the opportunity to write a new story for themselves in terms of what they're able to achieve and what the people around them are able to achieve. And to have 
perhaps a more ambitious and optimistic view of what they as a marketer, the impact that they as a marketer can achieve for the world from that day on. Paul, clearly you've taken this, you know, this is a big old journey that you've been on. What do you see as the next for you and for the work that you're doing? Well, Collaborative Advantage gives us a new perspective on corporate purpose in that it asks us to see our businesses and our organisations as enablers of a much bigger value creation process taking place outside the organisation rather than just as deliverers of value creation. And therefore, the approach to growing a business that I advocate in Collaborative Advantage is also a process of mobilizing around purpose. So if we take the outside-in framework, for example, which is a a core part of the book, um, and that helps us to grow our business much more quickly, it's also about mobilizing around purpose and that it begins by looking at how we can find common purpose with our key stakeholders, our customers and other groups, and moves on to looking at how we create the right opportunities for people outside as well as inside the organization to pursue that purpose. I look at how we create an environment that is conducive to the fulfillment of that purpose. Um, For example, one of the things I look at in the book is the concept of extended cognition that implies that we are so influenced by the environment in which we live and work that it is almost as if our very decisions and thought processes can be seen as being structured in those environments rather than inside our own minds. I look at how we mainstream our purpose and also how we can scale our pursuit of purpose through the right partnerships. So I think that my own writing, and certainly my next book, is going to focus even more explicitly on on corporate purpose. In my advisory work, I would say I now spend most of my time working with organizational leaders, looking at how they can protect and enhance every aspect of value creation by defining and mobilizing around their purpose in the right way. And then with my social enterprise hat on at Pimp My Cause, we're actually in the coming months going to be launching the next iteration of Pimp My Cause under a new banner that people who follow our progress will see when it's unveiled and that will preserve our matching platform that works like the online dating of pro bono marketing. And we'll also preserve our talent development programs that I've been talking about but which will also integrate a wider range of event formats that will create opportunities for more marketers from all sorts of different organizations and backgrounds to come together to collectively do something worthwhile and to really inspire and support each other in the process. Oh, well then, to everybody listening, watch this space in the new iteration of Pimp My Cause, whatever name it comes out as. Paul, my final question today really would be, what's your advice or perhaps call to action to anyone who's listening to this podcast? Well, I don't know how many of your listeners are actively thinking about the idea of competitive advantage on a daily basis. But funnily enough, I fear that it can most hold us back, specifically when we're not consciously thinking about it, in that it is one of those ideas that is so all-pervasive that it has infiltrated many of our core assumptions. 
And so I would say to overcome that limitation, we need to actively provoke ourselves out of it. And one of the best ways to overcome those kinds of cognitive biases is to ask ourselves a new set of questions. And I would say that if we want to create collaborative advantage and try the idea out in our own organizations, perhaps the most powerful starting point is to move away from the question of what do we do best and instead replace that with the question, what do we enable people to do better? And what can we enable the world to do better? For example, when Amazon launched the first online bookstore, essentially they were moving away from the question, how do we be a better shop? And instead, looking at how we can better enable people to choose. And I would say that that new paradigm has guided their innovation and the way that their business model has unfolded ever since. And I would say that every organization that I've ever come across can find really transformative potential in shifting the way that they understand their their business in that way. I also think a lot of people listening to your show will be following the discussions around expanding the purpose of the corporation to integrate social and environmental impacts more strongly, to integrate a broader range of, of stakeholder needs. And I think that's fantastic. But what if our starting point for that were to reimagine the core business purpose of our organization in terms of human empowerment, and then take that new understanding of our business and use that new understanding to drive all of our stakeholder value creation and all of the positive social, economic, and environmental impacts that we want to create. And I think that is really worth working for. Well, Paul, as a biology student, once upon a time, having had sort of Darwinian principles of uh, winner-takes-all and uh, fittest survival pieces, thank you very much for your insight and, and new ways of thinking. And I think all of us can take away from this podcast just some of those different ways to ask and examine core questions and, and core assumptions. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 